Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, Honest Conversations with Folk Musicians. It's Cindy. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to be talking to Bridget Carney, bassist for the band Lake Street Dive. So pumped to have Bridget on the pod today. Before we get into what we talk about, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. Basic Folk is supported by Tina and Her Pony. If you like fresh takes on traditional music, you might like Tina and Her Pony. Follow them on Spotify or at Tina and Her Pony. Bridget Carney, like I said, the bassist for Lake Street Dive. She has been deeply immersed in studying music since she was a kid. Uh, From the super nerds that she met at jazz camp to the nights in her parents' basement transposing songs to the New England Conservatory of Music, Bridget's dedicated herself to the betterment of her craft for decades. Originally from Iowa, Carney joined up with Lake Street Dive in Boston when she was at the conservatory as their upright bassist, one of the main songwriters and harmony vocalist. In our conversation, we talk about how her experience in playing in orchestras when she was younger prepared her for collaborative life in a band like Lake Street Dive. And from talking to Bridget and reading about Lake Street Dive, it seems like a very functional operation and the way she breaks down how they communicate, while it's not perfect, it's very impressive. Bridget also talks about her own solo career and how she's beginning to explore the full potential of her voice. So for instance, she talks about writing a song for Rachel Price, who's the lead singer of Lake Street Dive, who has this like incredibly powerful voice so she goes for that more kind of powerful sound versus when she's writing a song for herself her own voice has this uh, certain fragility that she can use to a song's advantage it's pretty cool she also talks about what it's like to be a utility player something that I can relate to in my own career uh, meaning that she's good wherever you want her uh, when it comes to playing uh, bass and singing It's a role that she's taken on for most of her musical career, and to hear her explain how it is to be like a utility person is really insightful and interesting. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Bridget Carney. We're going to hear the song Love Doctor, which appears on her 2017 solo album, Won't Let You Down. There's also a video posted on my website of her performing the song live in London, and it is wild. You can check that out at cindyhouse.net. In the meantime, here's a clip of Love Doctor, and then we'll get to our conversation with Bridget Carney on Basic Folk.
Bridget Carney, this is so awesome to be talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You grew up in Iowa City, which is a place I have never been to. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about how you liked that town when you were a little kid, like what it was like for you. Yeah. Um, well, I was just there a few days ago, so my memory is fresh. It's a wonderful place to grow up. It's like very idyllic. You know, you go to the the pool in the summertime and it's super safe. Everyone's extremely nice. It's also like, uh, it's a college town, you know, so there's, um, people in town that do all sorts of things. Every department of the university, you know, represents like different interests and talents. And so, yeah, there's people from all over the world there that are very good at different things. Um, and there's always kind of events going on, arts festival, jazz festival. Um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful place. And what did your parents do? Um, my parents both uh, worked at the university. So my dad um, was in the computer science department and my mom worked in the College of Education. Cool, and do you have siblings? Yep, three siblings, uh, my older brother, he lives in Washington DC now, he's a, an economist. And um, my older sister is in Spokane. She's a math professor. And my little sister lives in Chicago. She's a visual artist. So you were kind of middle end. Yeah, I'm third out of four, although there was five and a half years where I was the youngest. So I think, you know, I probably hold on to some youngest <laughs> child personality traits. <laughs> Um, so as far as music in your early life, you did church choir when you were five. Um, can you talk about that experience like in, in the choir and then also what role did church play in your life in general? Because it seems like you still stay connected to people from your church. Yeah, it's a, it's a community thing. You know, it's like people that I knew since I was born. And then the choir was probably my favorite part of church was going and at that church Zion Lutheran Church there were um, four choirs there's like the senior choir which is the adults and then there's high school choir junior choir and baby choir essentially <laughs> um, and like for big holidays they would put on these like extravaganzas where everyone was involved and everybody's wearing different colored robes and there's huge organ and they'd get like a horn section and string section and um so yeah that was i guess some of my first experiences being part of an ensemble a musical ensemble and i really enjoyed it i still love that music too i think like that style of choral writing is just so beautiful the harmonies in it mm. um definitely like still just the other day we were playing in Iowa City and there were some people there from my church so yeah it's like a, a really nice community that you 
I think like outside of schools and jobs, it's, it is nice to have a, a community that's all ages, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause there was like people that I knew that were much older than me. And then now there's like people that I know that are much younger than me. And there, there's not that many outlets that create communities like that. Yeah, that's so true. Um, you did piano lessons at first, but then you found the upright bass when you were nine years old, which is pretty incredible. Um, what originally drew you to the upright bass? So uh, the school orchestra starts one year before the school band in the public schools in Iowa. And um, I was really anxious to start playing an instrument my siblings were playing and I was just excited about music. And so uh, I wanted to start as soon as possible. And so I had to select from one of the orchestra instruments and picked the bass because it seemed kind of the fanciest, most ostentatious of those possibilities. And I always kind of imagined that I might switch the next year to something cooler, but then I just connected with it and uh, stuck with it. Yeah, what what um can you talk a little bit more about that connection you felt with the upright bass? Hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know. I I guess I had really good teachers too, so it was kind of a I think that's so important to connecting with something is just like having someone giving you good instruction hmm. so that you make quick improvements and, you know, notice that and are able to create a sound that's uh, it doesn't sound terrible. You know? <laughs> so I think like violin is the classic instrument where like kids starting to play violin just make a terrible sound. And so that's frustrating. Like, you know that you're making that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so if if you can find a teacher that can help you, like just get a basic level of musicality quickly, I think that that'll make a big difference. Mm. Um, it's like you, I mean, you kind of identified that like oh hey I'm doing some hard work here and it's and it feels good yeah and then shortly after like when I got to junior high school that's when the jazz band started mm. and so you realize that the bass is um, really versatile mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you need a bass in pretty much every style of music which leaves you a lot of options as you grow up and you know get into different styles you you're not limited to only playing in an orchestra or I mean not that any instrument is but certainly bass is like represented in in tons and tons of styles it's like playing the upright bass fit into your life path (laughs) yeah (laughs) a lot easier exactly your dad played guitar when you were growing up um how did his playing affect you or how did he encourage your music well, both of my parents uh, played music. Um, yeah, my dad played in some like folk bands uh, when he was in his 20s and occasionally would play the guitar around the house. And um, my mom is a great piano player. And so was my grandmother. She was always like playing the piano. Um, and yeah, just having that be an activity that happens normalizes you Mm. doing it yourself yeah um so when people when you see other people delighting in playing instruments then it makes it seem delightful (laughs) yeah
Um, and you mentioned that you started with classical music and then you moved on to studying jazz. And it sounds like when you started taking the bass seriously, maybe around high school, that you were staying up late, practicing and transcribing music, which is like, I'm trying to think in my experience, like the thing that I did in high school was like log onto the internet and try to type HTML. Um, and that experience mm-hmm. definitely like shaped me in that way. So I'm wondering you staying up late, practicing, transcribing, how that shaped you as a musician? Yeah, I think high school may have been like the most intense period of practicing bass for me. Um, Got kind of obsessed with it and again, had really great teachers, a great classical teacher and a great jazz teacher. And so that was when I learned to get into a mode where you can spend, you know, six hours working on something. And that itself is like such a great skill that you can apply to like any other skill that you want to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, so now like I'm not practicing bass as much these days, but I still work that muscle in terms of the time that I spend writing songs, the time that I spend learning music, um, and like getting comfortable on other instruments, practicing for like solo sets. Um, it's still really kind of going to the same place that I like figured out how to get to when I was practicing bass in high school. Hmm. Can you talk about your experience at the Birch Creek Music Academy? Yeah, that was a summer camp that I went to, I think four times growing up. It was in Wisconsin, Northern Wisconsin. And there was a lot of kids who were into music at my high school and in Iowa City, but I think like this specialized two week jazz camp was like where mm-hmm. you met the super nerds that were like <laughs> so into music and so into jazz. And they were also like really fun people to hang out with. And so it was kind of like this perfect little fantasy world where you could be as nerdy as you want to be and you know practice as much as you want and and everybody was the same way so you kind of like found your your people there and um yeah there's there's folks from that camp that I like still am friends with now and see um out on the road so what made you choose to attend the New England Conservatory of Music um originally like what attracted it me to it I was um I was looking for schools that had like double degree programs, either mm. universities or collaborative paired conservatories and universities. Um, and so that was like a major pro for me was that NEC had this double degree program with Tufts. And so you could go to both schools, do one extra year and walk away with two degrees, one music degree and one, you know, whatever else you want to study. Is the price the same? Um, well, it's one one extra year, but actually oh. I ended up getting it in, in four and a half. Oh, so. wow. Um, and um, was that your was that your thinking or is that someone else's thinking to do that? Um, I guess like because there aren't any other professional musicians in my family, I think like be, me and my parents both probably had some anxiety about like only having a music degree. Mm. Although I haven't used that other degree really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like 
coming out of high school, it was a good idea to do that. And in the end, I'm really glad that I did just be not necessarily because of the degree, but because of the experience. It mm-hmm. was really nice to be able to like I lived at Tufts for two years and um, was part of that scene. And then also I got to do a semester abroad in college, which like NEC didn't offer that program. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, it was uh, really worthwhile, but that was kind of like what led me to NEC. And as it turns out, I think like musically, it, it was a really good fit too, because I was in the jazz department, but um, their like definition of jazz is very open-minded. Um, there, I think there are some other schools that are much more rigid in the sort of styles that they're teaching. And NEC is really just about like improvising and being creative and kind of the fundamental building blocks of music Mm. and then they're very encouraging of everybody to like invent their own style in fact there's a class titled development of personal style um so i like the the students that were there and the way that they taught i think fit in really well with like the kind of music that i wanted to make Mm. and can we talk about the upright bass versus the electric bass um I heard that you don't own an electric bass. Is that still true? Technically, I own one, it, but it's this uh, like kind of toy electric bass that has like a, a drum machine and an amp built into it. Oh, God. Um, it's, it's not a functional, it's not a recording bass for sure. Or, um, But yeah, I've just kind of found myself in this, niche with upright and like fitting the upright into whatever setting I'm in and yeah have not made my way into my electric period yet mm-hmm. but I feel like it might be it might happen someday that you should do it at Newport because Carney goes electric <laughs> yeah That's totally a free idea for well, you I've been seeing some really awesome electric bass players recently um Chris Wood We've been on tour with the Wood Brothers oh, yeah, yeah. and Chris Wood. He plays upright and electric, but it's he's just doing such cool things with the electric. And then um, last year I was on tour with Joe Dart, who's an incredible electric player. So it's both like inspiring and kind of intimidating because mm. you know I I would be starting not at zero, but at you know knowing where all the notes are, but not really how to play the instrument. Right. Right. Can you talk a little bit about, because I've heard you talk about how you play electric parts on your upright bass. Like, I don't, I, if, if you could put it in like layman's terms of like what that might mean um, and why that is like kind of interesting and incredible. Sure. Um, well, I think with any instrument, there's things that the instrument encourages you to do and discourages you to do. I was just toying the other day with like playing with a slide, um, like a guitar slide. And that's a good example of like when you have a a slide, which like covers strings across the neck, it, it inspires you to like speak a certain language that uses notes that are directly across the neck from one another which like probably if you didn't have a slide, you wouldn't think to do, or you wouldn't necessarily go to that. And then also it encourages you to like use bendy slidey notes. (laughs) Um, 
And so that that kind of got me thinking about like just the differences between instruments in general and electric bass. It's like uh, the strings are shorter and usually have lower action. So there are things that you would be inclined to play on electric bass that like wouldn't be your first idea on upright, usually because they're hard right. <laughs> to execute wait, on wait, upright. Wait, when you say shorter actions, do you just mean there's like less notes to pick from? Um, same amount of notes, I think, but like the strings are closer to the 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 strings are lower. Oh, like your finger ac- lower finger actions. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh huh. So. Um, so a lot of these kind of virtuosic electric things uh, are not really in the history of upright bass. Mm. Um, they were more like when people started playing electric, they were like, whoa, we can do this now, you know? Right. Um, so it's kind of like thinking and, about it as like if you look at like your typing keyboard, if you just like spread the notes, the the not the like the keys out more. And then right. an electric yeah, bass totally. as you squish the keys in. Yep, that's a good metaphor. And then so you have to imagine like trying to type as fast as somebody who's on a normal keyboard and, you know, waving, flailing your arms around. Um, and it's totally possible. It's just uh, <laughs> maybe takes a little, <laughs> takes a little yeah. more practice. Um, and I guess like in the last probably five years I've mostly been listening to electric bass players at least when I'm like working on stuff for Lake Street Dive or um so I think I'm I'm like picking up this language that is primarily associated with electric basses that's cool Um, yeah and conversely like upright has a whole language of its own mostly from jazz, but, um, you know, there are like hammer-ons and pull-offs and slides and things that the instrument does well. And those things sometimes I do without thinking about it, like on accident, um, just the way I'll phrase something will be sort of within the language of uh, a bright bass. And then so- occasionally I'll say like, no, don't do it that way, like, because that makes it sound of this world. And I want it to sound more like it's from this other world, mm. even though it's not. Um, you were in the bluegrass band Joy Kill Sorrow which you decided to leave to focus on Lake Street Dive Um, can you talk about the decision to leave that band yeah um, and it was sad it was very sad because I loved playing with those guys and um, playing that music and we'd done some really cool stuff together it just kind of came down to a matter of not enough days in the year it was like both bands were growing which was great um but meant that if there was they were kind of like limiting one another Hmm. limiting one another's growth because um you know there were only so many dates in the year so um so yeah it was kind of a, a leap of faith um definitely at the time joy kill sorrow was playing more was bigger than Lake Street Dive was. Um, but I had been with Lake Street Dive first and I don't know, it, it was just, uh, it had to be done. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, it was really sad. And, and then 
in the end, I think it was the right choice because it it did allow Lake Street Dive to grow uh, and become what it was capable of, reach reach its potential. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I find so impressive about Lake Street Dive is that it's a truly collaborative band. Um, I found this quote where you put it like so nicely. You say. We all believe in each other and are fans of another's music of one another's musicianship. I was wondering if you could expand on how to you like that sort of like the key to making all of this work. There are so many decisions to be made in a band. Um, musical decisions, you know, what what what's the song we're going to write? What's the album we're going to make? What songs are we putting on the set? And then also just like life decisions you know how many dates a year are we going to tour um uh what restaurant are we going to eat at tonight like you're constantly (laughs) trying to agree upon things and so like having us a starting point just like a genuine admiration for each other's tastes and talents is like crucial i think Mm -hmm. Because if you were constantly like coming to these points of just disagreement about like what's good musically, um, I think you can't, you can only do that for so long. Um, So yeah, like it's really fortunate that like all four members of the band, I just think they're great musicians and and I love listening to them play. I love um, hearing what they come up with in terms of like, song ideas musical ideas um yeah and we're all kind of like seeking the same not the same but complementary visions yeah and um i'm interested in knowing about like in your case uh, maybe the the dedication of like being in an orchestra when you were first getting to know the upright bass and when you're first getting to know what it's like to play music with other people you're in this orchestra and learning to function in that environment and how that might have helped you develop your ability to collaborate so well within lake street dive yeah i think playing in in orchestras like orchestras are huge i think it's it's almost different with orchestra like playing in a band, I think, is more similar to like my experiences playing in like jazz combos or even jazz big band growing growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're you're all you all have the same goal, which is to put on a great performance, and you do that by, in certain moments, being the star, and in certain moments, being supportive. Mm. And, um, and just like knowing when those moments are such a yeah exactly yeah. you can't you can't be like uh throwing down all of your everything that you could possibly play at every moment you you got to kind of create a balance i think um i remember hearing about like duke ellington's band and he was kind of famous for having the same personnel in his band for a long time and knowing they're playing so well that he would write parts for specific players. Like n- this isn't just the saxophone part. This is, you know, for this person mm. um, and like written in order for them to best display their personal talents. Um, and that's something I think about with this band too, is like creating sections and space for everybody to do what they're best at 
I really feel like Lake Street Dive is such a good example for like how to function well within a team. Like you guys really need to go around to businesses and be like, this is how we work together and how your team can collaborate together. Because just like thinking about what you just said and like applying it to like um, non-musical situations, it just it's the same type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, and we certainly like come to our moments of of struggle and impasse. But again, like we we always talk about, just keeping in mind, like everyone wants the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants, you know, we just so so many times those um, difficulties are like communication issues and just somebody holding on to frustrations without speaking them for too long and then it comes out in this weird way and it's just once we talk about it it's always like oh you were feeling that way oh I was feeling this way oh duh okay oh duh (laughs) it's really yeah it really is all about communication and also sometimes I find like it definitely takes more than one conversation to like soften like the edges of conflict yep yeah 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 Let's talk about your writing. If you could talk a little bit about the difference between writing a song for your voice versus writing a song for Rachel's voice. Sure. Um, Yeah. Again, like there are just certain amazing, I mean, Rachel is an incredible singer and in particular, there are like certain things that she can just slam dunk. And so that, definitely I've had moments of writing I'd say like the song Good Kisser which is on the new Lake Street Dive record is like a good example of a song that I was like Rachel is gonna sound amazing singing this (laughs) chorus I can't simply can't pull it off (laughs) um but it was sort of like a a really a a song that I was really excited to hear her sing because I knew she was gonna do a great job at it when you are um, when you hand that to her or like when you present it to her, are you like, Rachel, I want you to sound like this and then do you try to like sing it yourself or do you play it on a keyboard or something? Uh I usually make a full demo of the song. So it'll have like all the parts and me singing on it. Um When do we get to hear those? Well. <laughs> <laughs> they can be uh yeah, everybody in the band makes their own demos and they're pretty special. Someday maybe we'll put out a uh Lake Street Dive box set, please. Secret demos, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. There might be certain members of the band who wouldn't be on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I think like I'm still discovering things about my own voice. You know, I've only put out this one solo record, but um, I think there are things that I like to do with my voice too. Um oftentimes the way that my voice emotes is like more kind of vulnerable sounding than Rachel's because she's such a strong singer. Um, She just like sings with such confidence. Um, And so I think I'm having fun exploring like singing and and writing songs that are uh, more, yeah, vulnerable, soft, 
flawed for lack of a better word like there's something cool about that and I've always loved singers that are that sing that way too like um Elliot Smith or Jeff Tweedy kind of like I really like listening to voices that have some like weird character to them which Mm -hmm. I would describe my own voices (laughs) as having that so yeah I'm interested uh in how your voice is developing another thing about your singing voice I don't really have a question but your singing voice is it's really cool it's and I think it's interesting that it's higher than your speaking voice mm-hmm. it's like um, um did you ever see that episode of the Simpsons that Billy Corgan was on that was the first time I ever heard him speak and it was like sounded so different than his speaking his singing voice right right um yeah I have a very rangy voice that was like in um Back in my church choir, I was kind of the utility player. And depending on whatever they needed, I would sing anywhere between like tenor to soprano. Oh, wow. Um, which is sometimes a problem writing for Rachel. She's always like, why do you have to write these goddamn rangy melodies? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of a, a crutch as a writer too because it's it's so easy to make like the chorus pop or define a certain section as being the biggest by just making the range of the melody higher there but uh mm. you know it's not the only way to do it <laughs> yeah hey, i've um it's interesting to hear that you're like a utility singer and you're also like a utility player with the upright bass and uh like that has to like translate into your personality a little bit. Yeah, maybe it's that uh, middle child thing, you know? Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, in, in Lake Street Dive too, we, M- Mike and Aki are quite rangy singers as well. So we kind of, in terms of like the background singer stack, it's always rotating. It's not like me on the top, Mike in the middle, Aki at the bottom. It's always try to, try all the different variations for each song and see where it sits best. Can you talk about how the tour that you, I don't know if you just wrapped up, but you did a tour recently with Theo Katzman. Um, If you could tell us a little bit about Theo, what you like about his music and maybe like how this tour in particular may have changed you as a musician. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I've been a fan of Theo for years. Um, the first time I saw him was with Wolfpack and, uh, it just blew me away. Like they were so incredible at their instruments and so fun. And like the, the way that they put on their show, it's like, it's almost like a sports event. Like people are running <laughs> around the stage all the time. It's and... kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show type of vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, I've said, had this mantra for a while that, you know, some people say less is more. And like my mantra is just like more is more. <laughs> um, and I feel like they're kind of on that level. Although certainly they have, you know, nuance and and delicacy but they're just like giving you everything you could possibly want um and it's awesome and theo is a big part of that he's like such a great drummer and he's an incredible front man like just the way he relates to the audience um is so genuine and fun 
And yeah, so I was a big fan and we'd met them a couple times. Um, Rachel had sat in on a show of theirs and they, they had come to a show of ours in LA. And, uh, and we had done a tour with Joey Dosick opening for us, who is part of that Wolfpack crew too. Anyways, when I put my solo record out, like someone had hipped Theo to it and he was super into the record. And so he like asked somebody for my phone number and texted me and said, hey, this is Theo Katzman. I love your record, whatever. And like, I was so uh, stoked to hear that from him because I was such a huge fan of his. And um, so anyways, we kept in touch and we were like, you know, I love your music, I love your music, let's do something together. And he invited me out on this tour. And so um, I was opening for his band playing solo. And then uh, they were, the band was joining me for the last couple songs on the set. And Theo was singing one song with me as well. Um, and yeah, it was just great. Like the music, it was such a good musical pairing. I loved watching his set every night. The band was so fun to play with. And everybody, uh, whether it's just part of their, like, one thing about those guys is they don't tour that much. They only play a few shows a year. So, like, I I think this four-week, like, van, U.S. van tour across the United States, like, everybody was so stoked to be just, like, <laughs> in the van doing drives across New Mexico. And that was, like, such a fun uh energy to be a part of and you know we did a lot of uh listening to music together talking about music um it was just great i love those guys you released this live video with theo's band uh, for the song love doctor which is a song on your solo album and the vibe um versus like the studio version um it's wild like there's this like wild dynamic that seems like a new energy for you. Um, and I wanted to know how you felt about that energy. I felt great about it. Um, yeah, I think the doing this solo tour was really enlightening in terms of dynamics. Um, because if you're just playing guitar and singing and there's no other instruments on stage, uh, you have to figure out ways to make the music dynamic. Um, and especially for me, like I'm not a real guitar player. I'm, I like have kind of limited facility on the instrument. So I had to like create playable stuff that was like uh, dynamic. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was a challenge, but also I found it really uh inspiring in terms of like what you can change on the fly like to get a whole band to do something uh just uh kind of unexpected is difficult um but if you're the only one on stage and you say to yourself like oh i gotta do something to you know excite the audience right now you could just be like okay i'm, I'm just not gonna play guitar on this section i'm just only gonna sing or you could say like, when this next chorus hits, I'm just gonna slam it. Um, and so that was like a really exciting uh, thing for me to play with. And I think it kind of influenced, like bring, br I think experiencing that solo, 
it was something that I was able to then bring back into a band setting. And like since then, when I've played shows with bands or with a drummer, or, you know, um, I'm creating into creating more dynamic arrangements. Mm. Um, and in being like a front person and, and um, you know, performing solo and performing with Theo's band, um, that experience for you versus like being in Lake Street Dive it has to be like hugely different. And I, I read a little bit about your experience with that and it found it interesting to say that even in learning how to stand on stage is different. Like when you're with your upright bass, bass versus um, with, with a guitar. Um, how has that process been like for you? Um, challenging and fun. Like, yeah, I had to kind of just figure out what, my like personality is on stage a little bit because in Lake Street Dive I'm not really responsible for much of the like talking to the audience thing um but that was I think in the end I sort of settled on a stage personality that's like pretty similar to my real personality (laughs) (laughs) um and so it's fun to be able to like really express that and sort of be who you are um on stage. So I had another question about being a utility person. I mean, I can definitely, I can relate to like being a utility person in like my line of work. And I feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I have a hard time figuring out what I like and what I want. And not in terms of like, I'm pretty good at making decisions, but like in terms of like, um, like life paths, you know, is how is that for you? Does that, does that hinder your ability to figure Um, something like that out? Well, yeah, I think like in, in Lake Street Dive, there are, five people in the band and so like having someone who's kind of a utility player although definitely I'll assert my opinions um but uh in in some ways I think I'm kind of like a go with the flow person and so that's like an asset to have someone and hopefully everyone to a degree is that way um so, you know, when we're deciding, okay, when are we going to make our next record? Um, what what producer are we going to use? Like, what studio are we going to do? You know, like, being able to express your opinions, but then also willing to cede to the majority opinion um, is, like, a really valuable and functional thing for an, an ensemble. And then, like, if when I'm doing my solo thing, that kind of forces me to be a little more de- deliberate or a, a little more, you know, you're at the helm, you're making all the decisions. Yeah. Um, it's like you'll, ha- you can make a decision if you have to, but if you don't, you're like, okay. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm so used to having a bunch of other people to sort of not only have an opinion, but uh, you know, a really passionate opinion. Like you can show your, your album cover for your solo record to all your friends and family and they'll say I like it or I don't like it but but they're they're not taking the like ownership of it as as themselves you know so like with a band it's like everybody shares ownership in this thing and 
and thus like puts some really personal attention into all of the decision process. And then when, when all of that is on you, you, you kind of, uh, I think, I think you bear the weight of it a little bit, but mm. also, um, you know, it has its rewards and ends up being all the more like expressive of your mm. you-ness, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, one more question here and it is about running. Ooh. Um, yeah, uh, I want to know what your relationship is to running. And also, like, from your perspective, can you talk about, um, I, I've heard you talk about a couple different of your favorite ways to listen to music. And in particular, can you talk about um, the action of running and listening to music? Yeah, I love running. I do it most days. Sometimes it's the best part of my day. Like, I just love being outside and um the feeling of being in motion and then it's a great time to listen to things um had some really incredible experiences listening to music in like beautiful places uh and just being like so psyched on music and life and whatever endorphins the uh running is giving me um and then i also love listening to like podcasts or um audiobooks uh yeah it's just a great time to sort of step away from whatever you're focusing on that day you know if you're working or if you're doing whatever you happen to be doing it's nice to just say okay I'm gonna devote this next hour to like moving my body and listening to something um whatever that may be um probably how long have you been running yeah. Um, I think I ran a little bit in college, but not I didn't really discover a love of running until like my early mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um and I've tried to replace it with like other forms of exercise like yoga or lifting that are maybe like work different parts of your body, but I just love running. So yeah, I can't I <laughs> I, I would have to do running and those other things. And usually there's not enough time in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like maybe my favorite time that I've ever been running and listening to music was on that study abroad in Morocco. Um, I was like running through these uh, along the beach uh, on the sand, like wet sand, and then came upon these like sand dunes and so I started like running up the sand dunes and then like bouncing down them. And uh, mm-hmm. I was listening, I remember to um, Wilco and the song uh, Theologians. And, oh, nice. Yeah. And just like bounding down these sand dunes and the music sounded so good. <laughs> and I was like, this is awesome. Oh, that's so great. Um, cool. Uh, so can you stick around for like two more minutes and we'll do the lightning round? Yep. Okay, great. So we'll be right back. All right, Basic Folk receives support from Lindsay Myers at LMNO Management, who encourages listeners to check out the songwriting duo Mick Dean. You can download singles from their forthcoming EP by going to mcdean.co slash basicfolk. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday 
You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, WIUPFM.org. Bridget Carney, you ready for the lightning round? So ready. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you a series of yes or no questions, and you can answer them with yes or no or one sentence. Um, All right, here we go. Dogs or cats or something else? No pets. (laughs) Wow, that is something else. Uh, Ever? No pets ever? Uh, I've had, like, roommates have cats, but, I mean, I can't keep, like, a a cactus alive. I'm on tour too much. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, what is your coffee order? Uh, Cortado. First album you bought with your own money? Soul Asylum, uh, Runaway Train. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, first concert? Ooh. Uh, maybe um, my brother's show choir. <laughs> Oh man, that's a good. That's funny. Uh, what is your dream collaboration? McCartney. Um, do you so Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Uh, what's your favorite type of white noise? Hmm. I don't know. Water, I guess. Rain. It's a good one. Uh, flying or invisibility? Flying. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Um, tough one. <laughs> yeah, really. There's there's so many. Um, maybe Vancouver, British Columbia. It's beautiful there. Whoa! All right, I'm gonna go there. I've never oh, been. That's great. I'm just on the edge of deciding, and I'm gonna do it. <laughs> um, all right, that's it. We've successfully completed the lightning round. Okay. So exciting, Bridget Carney. Thank you so much for taking so much time to talk. My pleasure. Thank you. thing about Bridget Carney is that she is like the coolest person I think I've ever talked to and she doesn't even know it because she's cool and that's what makes her cool is that she doesn't know it but really enjoy talking to her I really love the way she uh, speaks like some people when you're talking to them they're just like naturally funny and awkward but it's like really good so she you know you could ask her a yes or no question and she'll be like sure and it's very funny anyways thanks to bridget for being on basic folk i'm cindy house i'm the host laura mccarthy produces basic folk lindsey myers is our business manager alex stanton of townspeople does our music you can find show notes at cindyhouse.net join our facebook group sign up for the newsletter also, want to say thanks if you came to the Live at Club Passim event we had the other night. It was awesome. Going to be posting those episodes in a few weeks here on Basic Folk and hope to do that again. And if we will be doing it again, I'll let you know via the newsletter. So sign up. If you haven't signed up, you can do that at cindyhouse.net. And I will talk to you later. Okay, bye.